Hello, and welcome to the American Thoracic Society Breathe Easy Nursing Assembly podcast. My name is Nina Bracken from the Nursing Assembly Web Committee. In these podcasts, we interview leading clinicians and researchers and ask them to share their perspective on topics related to nursing and pulmonary and critical care. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Lisa Carter, who will lead today's podcast on shared decision-making in lung cancer screening. Dr. Lisa Carter-Harris is a behavioral scientist with over a decade of clinical experience as an adult nurse practitioner. She completed her PhD at the University of Louisville and a two-year postdoctoral fellowship at Indiana University in behavioral oncology. She is currently an associate attending behavioral scientist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City and an affiliate investigator at Kaiser Permanente Washington Health Research Institute in Seattle. Her funded program of research focuses on patient-clinician communication and complex decision-making, such as the decision to screen or not for lung cancer, as well as understanding how stigma influences healthcare decisions and behavior in individuals at risk for lung cancer. Dr. Harris, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me and uh, this important topic. To get us started, can you tell the audience the current rates of lung cancer diagnosed in the United States? Sure. Um, Lung cancer is actually the deadliest cancer, both worldwide as well as in the United States. A little less than 229,000 will be diagnosed in 2020 uh, um, this year, and nearly 136,000 people will die from lung cancer this year. And what's What's important about that is that that is more than the next three leading cancers of breast, colon, and prostate cancers combined. Wow. Can you share the current guideline recommendations for lung cancer screening in the U.S.? Sure. Um, Lung cancer uh, cancer screening guidelines are actually guided by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. And the current uh, guidelines are a grade B recommendation for individuals that are age 55 to 80 years of age who have a 30-pack year tobacco smoking history that are either current smokers or smokers who have quit within the past 15 years. Thank you. That's helpful background, I think, to the audience. Um, can you tell us a little bit more now shifting and getting into your background in this? Could you tell us how you got interested in focusing on lung cancer screening as a part of your research? Sure. Um, I actually kind of um, came into lung cancer screening serendipitously um, at the time when lung cancer screening guidelines, um, right before they were published, Um, I was very interested in individuals who were diagnosed with lung cancer and living with the disease, particularly how they um, were seeking care and um, adhering to treatment and what were the variables that were influencing their um, experience. And that was during my doctoral studies. And so my PhD was actually about medical health-seeking behavior, and what our study found was that the the only factor that seemed to influence individuals' medical health-seeking behavior that had lung cancer was stigma. Um, It led to them delaying seeking um, help for symptoms that they were concerned about. Um, Individuals who were coughing up bright red blood would not go and seek care because 
they were concerned about being blamed for having smoked. And so when I finished my PhD, I was interested in kind of backing that up, so to speak, to focus on people who were at risk for lung cancer. And um, so that naturally, naturally led me to the screening um, area of research. And so I started looking at patient-clinician communication. I'm a nurse practitioner um, by training. I, I actually still practice. Um, um, I owned my own practice prior to having the crazy idea of going back and getting my PhD. Um, and so I've always come at research with a clinician's mind and wanting to understand the patient voice. And so I really wanted to understand what influenced an individual to make that decision to actually get screened or not. And so um, it led me to a postdoc at Indiana University in behavioral oncology, which gave me a great foundation and great training um, to really understand um, how to design studies that both used qualitative methods and quantitative methods um, that explored um, the patient perspective as well as patient outcomes. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's great. I know that the audience always um, enjoys hearing about how experts got into their area of practice. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your approach and the shared decision-making process in lung cancer screening? Yeah, so interestingly, I um, it, it, it was interesting when I was a postdoc, I started talking with my mentor about shared decision-making. And this wasn't really something that was, uh, necessarily a hot topic at the time, um, but, you know, it was really a complex, um, especially complex cancer screening decision because, you know, this is a cancer screening um, that targets individuals because of um, their history of smoking, and smoking is a stigmatized um, behavior, and it's not like breast or colon um, cancer screening in which you're targeting a population uh, or mass uh, screening where you uptake where you're targeting population based upon their age or uh, family history. And so uh, these individuals um, potentially could make the decision to opt out of screening, and that could be the right decision for them based upon a conversation that they have with their informed clinician. Um, it could be the decision is right for them to screen. Um, and it made the most sense that this would be a shared process, but that was something that was not really truly understood, and I still think that it's something that we are continuing to untangle um, true understanding about in this space. There's a lot of great research in addition to my own um, that's going on in this space around lung cancer screening as well as other types of uh, medical decisions. And so I got into it um, because I was interested in understanding this particular uh, unique population of uh, smokers and who are I consider a unique population because of the stigma component as well as other factors like medical mistrust that all kind of a, a perfect storm of uh, sorts um, related to the behavior of smoking that happens to be stigmatized that can 
um, ultimately influence the decision to either um, have a conversation or not with their clinician or follow up with a, a radiology clinic to screen or um, adhere to a treatment regimen uh, or a recommendation to screen. I, I think it's also important. Uh, we did a lot of foundational work um, in the beginning because no one had been in this space. Um, you know, there was a there was a lot that was being done around the the provider uh, perspective of lung cancer screening and the system perspective of lung cancer screening, um, but we were focused on the patient. And I've always been really, um, I guess, on a soapbox of sorts. Um, and this does come from being a clinician, as a nurse practitioner, uh, and understanding it from um, you know real practice that I can be the best nurse practitioner um, for my patient, but ultimately uh, it's the patient who has to make the decision to do something to make a health behavior change or to um, take a recommended uh, treatment um, or screening ad advice from me and follow through on that behavior. But if I don't understand their point of view or where they're coming from, I could miss the whole boat. And so focusing, we chose very early on to focus on the patient side. And so we did a lot of foundational work by talking with this target population. And it's always interesting because you go into these types of studies thinking that you have an inkling of what, you know, what's going to come out or what they're going to say, and then they always shock you, which is the whole reason we do the research, because we want to learn from the patients. Um, we had individuals, we did a very interesting study in Seattle where we had individuals who we were able to identify had a discussion with their clinician, a shared discussion with their clinician, but they opted out of lung cancer screening. And so it was interesting because we got to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them about why they opted out. And they told us, you know, they you know, just wanted to get through the conversation. They were worried about if they were still a current smoker, they were worried about getting to that part of the conversation where they were going to be blamed about their smoking. So they were just telling the clinician what they thought they wanted to hear, and they would say, yes, I'm going to screen, and then they would cancel the appointment when they walked out, to, out of the office, or they would say, no, I'm not interested, and just to, you know, go forward. And then they would also talk about being given patient materials and not really having a shared discussion, but the patient materials were uh, scary to them. They talked about seeing the uh, emboldened um, text, you know, 95% false positive rate and not understanding what that meant. And really, it, it was really should have been like a false discovery rate. But regardless, um, they said, you know, this is a flawed test. Um, why would I do something that's going to tell me I have lung cancer when I don't and scare the heck out of me? So it's things like that that, that um, I don't know if I, I think I just went off on a tangent, but um, I don't know if that's what answers your question. I, I think that that all falls into your approach um, for the shared decision-making process in the lung cancer screening. And I, I think building on that, could you tell us what, um, what are some aspects you think clinicians should think about when sitting down to have a conversation with their patients about the option to screen for lung cancer or not beyond the potential risks and benefits of screening? Yeah, I think, you know, so 
So what's interesting with lung cancer screening is this is the first time that um, so after 2013, that the USPSTF came out with the recommendation, and in February of 2015, uh, Medicare um, issued its national coverage determination that required um, a share a documentation of a shared decision making, shared decision making and counseling visit for reimbursement. And this is the first time in a cancer screening um, arena that there has you know a health policy. Um, mandate where you have to document shared decision-making being tied to reimbursement. So we saw a lot of um, uh, practices and systems kind of, you know, uh, moving very quickly toward trying to figure out how are we going to execute this because the language was a bit vague of how this should be conducted and um, it, it the language required, you know, it did state an MD, an, an, an NP, a CNS, or a PA. Um, also stated that you could, it had to be done with one or more decision aids, um, and there were some other types of language. Um, and it we talked about talking about the false positive rates and, and things of that nature. So I, I set all of that up just to tell you that, um, you know, the clinicians are being faced with using decision tools um, that have all of these components. But I think it's really important to realize how we approach this particular patient population. Um, I shared before we came, started recording this with you that I just got back from a National Stigma Summit, and as you know, that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I think it's all about the way that we talk with our patients um, as a clinician myself, I, I know that clinicians out there do not, they didn't go into this profession to stigmatize their patients. I don't think any clinician walks in the room and says, I want to try to make my patient feel bad. Um, I think that it's unintentional, but we don't realize that the language that we use and the way that we interact with patients um, can sometimes uh, create a barrier. And so, um, you know, there's a movement around empathic communication, um, and I think that with our our patients who are smokers or former smokers, um, this is a, a successful method that we should um, educate ourselves on and trying to engage in that conversation around uh, touchy subjects like uh, like smoking. And it's not just for lung cancer screening; it's for so many other um, disease processes that a clinician might be talking about that um, is related to smoking-related diseases. I think you said so many important things just now. Um, speaking of, obviously, your recommendations, um, can you share some of your research or publications on this topic? Sure. Um, so we've, um, um, I guess if you Google my name, <laughs> Carter Harris with a hyphen in between, um, you'll find a lot around uh, lung cancer screening and health beliefs. Um, we've, um, and stigma, of course. Um, so my research and publications primarily look at the patient side. We um, developed a computer-tailored decision support tool 
uh, looking at, um, it's called Lung Talk. Uh, the premise behind it, um, there are a number of uh, decision tools out there which are wonderful, but one of the things that we found um, in, our, um, in our qualitative research was in talking with patients, um, and we used the community advisory board to help us um, build this using user-centered design, was that they wanted something that was, um, went beyond just lung cancer. If you think about it, when you screen an individual who is, has a 30-plus year smoking history with a low-dose CT, most of the time you're going to find something because they have a long history of smoking. Um, that being said, the majority of the time, it's not going to be cancer. Um, it might be an incidental nodule that needs to be followed, but it might be something else. It might be COPD. It might be cardiovascular disease. It might be um, a number of things. And so um, Lung Talk um, educates broadly and then goes into the actual um, education around uh, lung cancer screening, but the other thing, the thing that makes it tailored um, is the smoking status. We learned from our patient participants that current, um, former smokers don't want to be talked to like they're current smokers, and so messaging is important and the way that we communicate. So it's, it's the same um, content, it's just messaged differently, and we, we look at wording and text and, and the way the things are presented. And so um, some of the things that are, our protocol is published and our, um, our pilot study is actually coming out. We have a conceptual model to understand lung cancer screening from the patient's perspective. I know, uh, I know that sounds crazy, and this is an um, ATS nursing podcast, and so anybody who's a nurse hears the word conceptual model is going to have um, probably panic attacks back to theory class. Um, but, um, you know, conceptual models, um, even though it's theoretical, it's just simply a pair of glasses or a pair of lenses that we look at um, the way that we look, the perspective that we look at the world through. And so, you know, we had wonderful participants that helped us build this model to help us understand why, what influences people's behavior. And so when we built the, or we designed the model, we published it, um, and I think that's in research and theory and nursing practice. And then we tested it, and that, that was actually funded by the National Cancer Institute. It was a mixed method study that um, we, we tested the model. And there are several papers that actually came out from that, both on the qualitative side and the quantitative side, of testing that model um, of lung cancer screening participation. So, and there's a number of other things, but um, those are the most, I mean, we could have a series of podcasts about lung cancer screening, um, but I'm sure your readers or your listeners don't want to hear that. No, maybe we should. Maybe should this, this uh, should be a, a part one in a series. Oh, um, so... <laughs> You've obviously published on this topic. What are your recommendations for clinicians or other staff who are uh, just starting this process of a shared decision-making approach uh, for lung cancer screening in their clinics? Um, I think, so 
you have, of course, you have the guidelines that everybody, you know, of course, is going to try to, um, they, not try to, but they, they want to make sure that they're um, complying with, with the, the Medicare guidelines. But I think that um, there's really good literature out there um, around shared decision-making um, from a research perspective, but I always appreciate the clinical articles that come out. Um, I was... I think because I'm a nurse practitioner, I've always tried to do my due diligence and not just publishing research articles, but also translating that into clinical application and publishing in clinical journals as well. Um, because, you know, the research is great, but, um, you know, I want it to be clinically applicable, and, and that's why we do the research, is because we want to affect patient outcomes. So there's a lot of great research that individuals have done and they've translated it into um, some clinical papers, um, including myself, into clinical journals like the Journal of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners, um, the Clinical Nurse Specialist, um, and journals of that nature. We actually, our paper, one of our papers from our, the study I was talking about on our conceptual model is published in the Clinical Nurse Specialist and it's um, about the decision to screen or not, and it's um, around the stigma piece. Thank you, Lisa. I think this is um, an incredible amount of information that's very, um, could be very clinically applicable, as you were saying. Uh, this concludes our podcast. Again, Lisa, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. So you have just heard about shared decision-making in lung cancer screening. Uh, references or any links referred to in this podcast can be found on the ATS podcast webpage. If there are any questions or comments related to this podcast or you would like to make suggestions for future topics, please contact the Nursing Assembly at nursing@thoracic.org. This is Nina Bracken and lung cancer screening expert, Dr. Lisa Carter-Harris, signing off.